You're listening to The Senior Solution, and I'm Geneva Williams. I'm here occasionally to focus on the personal attributes that contribute to effective leadership, talk with community leaders about legacy building and the future of Detroit. My guest today is Rashida Talib. She served three terms, that's six years, in the Michigan legislature, and that's the limit an elected official can serve in that office. Now, while she ran for a Michigan Senate seat against an incumbent in last August's primary um, and was not successful, many, many in the community believe she still has a bright future in politics. She may have left the Michigan legislature in January, but today she remains committed to what's happening in our community, to policy, to making it better. She's an attorney with the Sugar Law Center for Social and Economic Justice. Rashida, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, you were the second Muslim American in the country to ever serve in a state legislature and also the first female Muslim to serve in Michigan. Yes. When you describe yourselves to others, um, is that what you talk about? Or tell us what's important for them, others, to know about you. That I'm one of them, that I'm a Detroiter. I think I'm a Detroiter more than anything. I, born and raised in the city of Detroit, uh, pr- proud uh, graduate of Detroit Public Schools, uh, went to Wayne State University for my bachelor's, uh, continued to work at nonprofit organizations in, in Detroit uh, throughout my law school um, education and, and the years there. Uh, to me, you know, I'm a... I'm, heart and soul uh, Detroiter, a fighter. I always tell people Detroit, she's, she's this city of strength and she's, uh, she's like the mom, you know, she, she gives you this hug and you want, you want to come back for more hugs um, because she's there to protect you. She takes in the sick, the unemployed, the needy, the mentally ill. Uh, she has this open arms and uh, it's addictive. You just don't want to leave her. So um, no, first of all, I'm a Detroiter. And you know, one of the things that I did when I first ran, I mean, I didn't know the historic nature of my election at all. I mean, I just knew I'm Rashida. I grew up in Southwest. Uh, you know, people knew me as a community organizer. Uh, I organized in basement churches and various nonprofit organizations on, you know, access to human services and justice for families that were afraid to contact their elected officials or afraid to reach out to someone that has power to make decisions that impact their lives. And uh, it, it, it was life changing for me growing up in the city. And um, it's part of who I am and everything that I do. What accomplishments are you most proud of when you think about those uh, six years in the Michigan legislature? My neighborhood service center. A lot of people are like, what is that? Uh, You know, when you have a member of Congress on the federal level, they have like a district office. Uh, In the Michigan legislature, you don't have funding to actually have a strong presence in your district. And so my team and I, we sat down. uh, One of the things that I 
kept hearing from people door to door wasn't about, you know, can you please pass this bill or can you change this law? It was more about how can I get that house knocked down? And Rashida, you know, I keep calling my caseworker and she doesn't call me back or, uh, you know, I just need I need help getting my house repaired. Uh, Where can I get those resources? So it was more of the direct services that was a strong desire. And so we created what we call the Neighborhood Service Center. It was the extension of the state rep's office so you didn't have to go to Lansing which is eight, over 80 miles away to actually get services or for me to advocate on your behalf you can come right in there usually most of the time I was there uh, when I didn't have committee or session and that's where all my bill ideas came from that's where all the biggest accomplishments from starting we have a right to breathe campaign to bring um, justice to those that are living near high industry especially my seniors um, we started uh, this big movement around tax foreclosure you know we didn't just let you get a bill but my office didn't have to but we went door to door we reached out to families and said look there's a payment plan there's these different programs you can apply for and even though the process is so intimidating the service center my 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 extended team there was able to help them with the step forward program the application online uh it was wonderful i i always tell people it was like kind of like a neighborhood little city hall but for a state rep's office and it to me is the the one thing I miss the most is is having that direct contact and that genuine relationship with my residents and for them to feel that someone cares about them, but that they deserve it. Uh, and that's what's always lacking. I always feel like my neighbors, everybody doesn't think they deserve that kind of service, and they truly do. And, and again, was one, one of my biggest accomplishments. And that's really a, a unique approach. Was this brought about because of your uh, work before you stepped into the political field. Your work in nonprofits and with communities? Absolutely. My mentor, Steve Tabachman, who's who was a state rep before me, had a district office. Uh, I always tell him, you know, he started the the movement around what we call service politics, right? Uh, and I just perfected it, I tell mm-hmm. him. <laughs> um, we, we do 10 to 12, 12 different anti-poverty programs. Um, and it's now a, a legacy that I left behind that now uh, State Representative Stephanie Chang uh, in partnership with Raquel Castaneda Lopez, a member of city council. They both are now running the service center together. And it's so the continued work is, is there. But yeah, you know, both Steve and I come from the nonprofit sector, come from the social justice uh, field. And, you know, watching um, just the number of families that come to these these organizations that are, to me, the backbone of government. I mean, government can't do everything. Um, but but these community-based organizations, they're tremendous partnerships, uh, partners for the federal government, the state government, local government to actually deliver effective service to their residents. They're the, they got their ears to the ground. They are having interactions with uh, our residents uh, on a daily basis uh, in crisis mode and, and all the things that are going on and so many families are struggling. But it, um, it definitely uh, absolutely resonated with me. And yeah, uh, you know, pretty much growing up at Access um, and watching just how, I don't know, just how rewarding it can be to make a phone call and actually get something done for your resident. Uh, is it, it was phenomenal. I loved it. I didn't have to pass a bill to get save somebody's home for foreclosure. I didn't have to pass a bill to making sure that a, a, a woman wasn't being abused by her husband. I, I was able to access resources to help a lot of these families. So you mentioned Access, which is a um, a social service organization, and then you've worked with LASED. Yes. And so you've worked with a number of nonprofits actually on the ground who worked with people. And so you must have 
heard a lot and come across a lot of issues, learned about a lot of the issues affecting uh, people, particularly the senior population. Um, were you able to take that kind of knowledge and information into your work Absolutely. at the legislature? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I realized when I got to the legislature is, you know, it's not their fault. The members of the legislature just don't know. They don't have the same um, background that I had. Many of them don't even understand how the nonprofit sector really works, how it actually saves the state money. Uh, they see line items in a budget and have no idea, oh, that's the program that gets Meals on Wheels or, oh, that's the program that provides before and after school tutoring. They don't know. It's some fancy name or it's tucked into under some sort of title, but they, they're fully not aware. And I think that's our fault. I think the nonprofit sector needs to reach out to their elected officials, educate them on, you know, what those line items mean and what the, the impact will be. Uh, I keep telling people over and over, I never got called enough, even though I probably got more calls than any of my colleagues. I still felt like I needed to be engaged more uh, by people. And as soon as you get in office, you shouldn't think, okay, that's it. They're going to they're going to know what they need to do. No, you give them your you give them their work plan. You give them the tasks that need to be taken. Don't assume that they know what they're supposed to be doing. They're humans just like anybody else, and they're waiting for direction, and the direction needs to come from the community, and especially our seniors who are so wise. The institutional knowledge that my seniors provided me uh, was tremendous. Oh, we tried that before. We should really? When? And, and it was tremendous. I didn't have to waste my time. I kept moving on and then came up with a different idea because they already told me, done it, didn't work find some other way. Mm -hmm. If you've just tuned in, I'm Geneva Williams, and my guest here on The Senior Solution is former Michigan legislator, community activist, attorney, powerful, powerful woman, Rashida Tlaib. Now, Rashida, when you ran for a seat in the Michigan House, you knocked on the doors of close to 47,000 households. And I believe you said yourself that you had a unique brand of hard work and service. Um, and then I also understand you come from a very large family. How much of this brand had its origin in your upbringing with 13 brothers and sisters? I'll tell you, being the eldest of 14 prepared me the most for public office. I, uh, being a public servant is, is very exhausting sometimes, especially, you know, with the Neighborhood Service Center, I had direct contact with just all kinds of crises and challenges that families were facing at that moment, at that time. But I, I think uh, the fact that my siblings went through the same sort of challenges, may it be domestic violence, substance abuse, um, you name it, uh, mental health issues, uh, chronic unemployment. I think I've experienced uh, a lot of those challenges through my siblings that really prepared me, I think, the most, uh, not fully, but the most uh, in, in public office. But absolutely, door-to-door, I, I, -door, a lot of elected officials do the door-to-door -door reaching out. I just thrive doing door-to-door. -door. I have to be in love with my district. If I'm not in love with my district, I don't think I work hard enough. And so when I ran for Senate, our team collectively knocked 47,000 doors. I knocked 10,000 myself. And for all the women out there, I'll tell you, I mean, we, I, I think I lost 25 pounds <laughs> <laughs> that year. But not only was it um, just important to me, but I needed to be able to walk the streets that my residents live in and when people said how can you be down here all by yourself walking I'm like you live here 
live mm-hmm. here. Of course, I can walk down the street. But I, I don't know. I, I needed to, you know, to this day, I have stories about interaction with somebody on a corner or uh, sitting on someone's porch and having a conversation about uh, back in the day, this is how it, it was and their hope and their dreams for their neighborhood. It made me work harder. It made me um, fall in love with the district so that when I'm there making those decisions and pressing that button, I know that I'm making it for thousands of people and I have faces to go with that instead of it being just so cold and not really realizing it. I, you, growing up even in Southwest, I really didn't know my neighborhood until I walked it twice. I mean, it was, there was parts of the neighborhood I had heard about, but when you walk it, it's completely different. You just see it completely different. And I'll tell you, if you're not in love by the time you're done, you just, you, you don't, you should not be running for mm-hmm, office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and meeting so many people, seeing so many faces, hearing from so, so many, I, I know a great deal of those uh, people you met were seniors. Yeah. Um, what were they saying? What, what are the issues that uh, those who are aging facing? You know, one of the main things I kept hearing, uh, even though it was sometimes underlining, uh, were this fear of being forgotten, left behind, uh, especially in the recent Senate race. What I heard is, you know, as development is coming in, as there's all these opportunities now in the city that, uh, you know, you heard the word gentrification, you hear the word, word uh, well, Henry Ford Hospital is expanding like 300 acres of medical warehouse. What does that mean for my property values? Does it mean I have to pay higher taxes? Does this mean that I'm being pushed out? Uh, what is it, you know, are they are they going to acknowledge and respect the fact that I've been here for a long time and uh, acknowledging that I am a huge asset uh, for... Um, for the uh, for the community, so that's what I heard the most. And you know, they they to me, um, my seasoned citizens is what I call them. Mm-hmm. They are much more engaged than our young people, and they're loyal, and loyal on the issues, loyal on um, if they support the work that you're doing. They're always going to be there and guiding me. Um, you know, speaking to me, and I love that they're not afraid of me either. You know, they they're like, "Come here, kid." You know, uh, you can't do it that way. You got to do it this way. And I listen, and I respect that, and I love it. I mean, they're probably my best partners in the last six years. Mm-hmm. So, after seeing so much and and being so many places, whether you know, not nonprofits in the community at the legislature, passing bills, making deals. So what do you see as the hope for Detroit's future? Uh, It's people. If we're not included, and I know there's been some really good articles from the Detroit News and the Free Press about including uh, Detroiters that have been here, that have not left, in these decisions that are changing. um, And some people are scared to say it, but they're changing the landscape of uh, what Detroit looks like. I truly believe that if we're not at the table, if we don't have a seat at the table, that they're, that developers, especially because right now I'm, I'm seeing a lot of developers from outside of our communities coming in and fearful of engaging the community as if it's a, it's a bad thing, as if we don't, we're not thoughtful and we're, we don't really know um, what needs to be done. It's absolutely uh, a false uh, myth that we're here to stop development. We're not. We just want to make sure that it's a win-win, that as the development is thriving, so is the neighborhoods. 
And when the neighborhoods thrive, their development is going to be phenomenal development. It's going to create even more jobs and create more economic um, activity. And, and that's something that's been really hard. And at Sugar Law Center, that's my primary goal, is engaging a lot of these local block clubs and coalitions on this movement around a community benefits agreement, you know, a contract with these developers. That is a win-win. That is talking about how do you protect the seniors in the community? How do you protect uh, the green space, the limited green space that we have? How do you maintain the housing stock? Detroit used to be leading in the nation for home ownership. And now we're lacking at 40%. We used to be 70%. And that's something that we need to be thriving towards because we're not going to be successful if we're leaving people behind. And that's, I think, something that I'm going to continue to really be vocal uh, about and uh, making sure that um, Detroit families, my neighbors, know that they deserve better. They deserve to be at the table. And so what about being at the uh, political table for Rashida Tlaib? Is that in your future? I don't know. I mean, right now I am obsessed with getting women to run for office. I have asked uh, at least four (laughs) this past month uh, to run for office. I I think women tend to look for permission to be in leadership. Uh, They tend to hesitate. Uh, No offense to men, but men kind of get up from the pillow in the morning and say, I'm going to run for office. I'm going to be in the leadership. I'm going to run my own business. Where women unique as we are and God has made us unique, we we hesitate um, because we're very, very careful in making decisions because we know that we're making decisions that will impact people. Um, and we hesitate a bit. So right now I am finding any woman that inspires me and saying to her, can you represent me, represent my family and I, represent my community, run for office. They'll laugh at the beginning, but it does put the seed in their, in their brain and they start thinking about it because I uh, I really think on the federal, local, and state level, women being at the table is the biggest uh, asset that we'd have. I mean, they really see the world differently, and and we have a different lens, and it's something that uh, I think is lacking a lot on the federal level and the state level especially, and that's why I think we're making a lot of wrong decisions. Well, Rashida Tlaib, we thank you for being here, and we hope that as you're encouraging many, many other women to run, that you'll think about it again for yourself, and we certainly appreciate and uh, congratulate you on your work in the community, nonprofit community, and in the Michigan legislature with all your firsts. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for allowing me to be here. I'm Geneva Williams, and I'll be back soon with more conversations highlighting some of the people whose leadership and passion fuels our community, like Rashida Tlaib, our guest today, former Michigan House legislator, uh, community activist, attorney, first, first, first in so many ways, particularly for our community. And now, stay tuned for more of The Senior Solution after a short break.